podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How's your fantasy team doing, mate? Oh, I haven't sat here in ages. Everyone's bored of it by the stages of the season, now, aren't they? That's enough out of you, you whiny limey. That's soccer, not football. And this is Paddy Power's NFL Fantasy. Running on just the 6 p.m. games, it's only a game week long. No season-long boredom. No excuses. And 750 pounds in prizes guaranteed each week. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus Hello and welcome to the Nakum Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy, a Thanksgiving special. And that can only mean one man. I'm Mike Carlson dropping by very shortly to talk about the phenom that is Lamar Jackson. We'll talk a bit of Dallas Cowboys and what next for Jason Garrett as the rumors start to really swell. We'll get into his top five as well. Thanksgiving related, of course, and into some of your questions from the mailbag too. There are some goodies in there, so I'm looking forward uh, to that. We'll check in with Ben Isaacs. Big weekend of college football coming up, which you can catch, of course, on ESPN Player. Get all your college fixes uh, from there. And uh, Ben Mortimer as well, doubling down on the Bens uh, this week. Ben Mortimer, fresh from a trip stateside where he caught all kinds of football, high school, college and NFL. So we'll uh, catch up with him as well. But uh, all about his road trip. So a jam-packed show for you. Let's get straight to it. And I'm Mike. Hi, Mike. Season's greetings. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, pre-Thanksgiving, I should say. Hello, Nat. And I want to say hi to all my little Micah-maniacs, because we're looking forward to this week and a rematch of Helmet Gate 2. It's going to be a helmet-swinging, heat-bringing, bell-ringing, duck-flinging matchup. And Mr. Goodell has decided it's a loser-leaves-town matchup. Carlson going all Hulk Hogan Hang on. Oh, I've just heard that it's actually a Browns leave town matchup, according to the commissioner. Um, <laughs> win or lose, they're going back to Cleveland. So, uh, sorry, I, I got all excited. <laughs> Loving that. Commissioner Goodell, what's happening, you presume? Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> Ollie, our producer, very concerned that you were going to do the whole episode in French because you've been uh, WhatsApping him en français, Mike. Yeah, I've been working on my my French, uh, improving it from my Montreal days, uh, just in case I'm forced to ask for political <laughs> asylum on the continent. Not a high bar, I think, that improvement. Uh, speaking, <laughs> of high, speaking of high bars, though, let's get straight down to business. We've got a ton to get into. We've got a bumper mailbag as well. I'm Mike's top five coming up, uh, Thanksgiving special. No surprise there. We'll talk a bit of Jason Garrett and the Cowboys future as well after their defeat this weekend. But we're going to start with the headline at Lamar Jackson. Oh, my gosh. Iron Mike Carlson, another virtuoso performance from him on Monday Night Football, now locked and loaded, surely, for MVP. Mike, um, yeah, I, well, I um, mean, at this moment, if you had the if you had the vote, he would be it would be a runaway for sure. Yeah, but lots can change. I know in a few weeks. How does the NFL stop him right now? How does a team stop this offense? Because no one seems to have any kind of game plan at all. That's a really good question. And, um, one of the things, uh, when, when I watched the Patriots game against them, I thought that uh, some of the concepts they were using were actually pretty good. It was simply that they had a breakdown or more often Lamar causes a breakdown. And that's, that's the hardest thing to do. Uh, and we've seen this before with quarterbacks, uh, to, you know, to a somewhat lesser extent because not many of them have had a run first offense designed for them the way right. um, the, the Ravens offense is. So I thought, you know, Wade came out with what he thought was probably a good 
attempt to control Jackson um, for the Rams. And for a little while, it looked like it might work. You could see the way that they were they were using a four-man line instead of Wade's usual three, and they were trying to pinch in so that, Jack, so that Jackson would be uh, held in the pocket, which is the obvious first step to trying to keep him under control. But he still could break free of the pocket when he wanted to. And um, they were able – their offensive line was really able to adjust quickly – to facing a four-man line instead of a, a, a three-man line. And to be honest, I think it actually made it a little bit easier for them against a, a four-man line on their run blocking. And and that's the problem because if you do dedicate extra resources to Lamar, which you almost have to do, uh, you have to spy him or you have to, you have to adjust somehow, then it leaves you more vulnerable to Mark Ingram and Gus Ed- Edwards, who, who are powerful runners and, mm-hmm. and um, also, you know, versatile ones, and to the passing game, which, um, you know, as Hollywood Brown develops, that looks more and more dangerous. But it's yeah. really interesting that the one of the main features of their passing game has been throwing to the three tight ends. And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have a Gronk in there, but – Andrews is is pretty mobile and gets downfield, and they get the same kind of mismatches the Patriots would scheme to get uh, with Gronk. You know, last year you, he saw so much of the Patriots going multiple tight end and then getting one of them into a position where he, where the, you normally you would see say a wide receiver and you get that one on one matchup, and that's what the Ravens do. It, it's a it's a well executed offense, and I keep reminding people when we have the Colin Kaepernick debate that it is a it's a progression beyond the offense that Kaepernick ran for the two years when he was really good, when he was well coached in San Francisco with the other Harbaugh, but the same Greg Roman as the Mm. offensive coordinator. And Lamar is a much better runner all round than Kaepernick is. Kaepernick's a great athlete in the sense of having that, that long stride and being able to, to eat up yardage quickly. But, but Jackson's got that, better sense of like finding, seeing a hole, um, seeing what's in front of him and on the sides and that great short area quickness that lets mm-hmm. him get away from people um, with just small movements, you know, and, and protect himself. And that bring would bring me, I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit to a uh, next point. But um, when we talk about MVP votes now, and I know the voting is open, you know, the um, which to me always seems crazy that you start deciding the MVP uh, before the season's even three quarters over. But injury, of course, could always be a factor in this. And Lamar sure. did it in college. I mean, he's great at protecting himself. Is that um, the big he- concern with a, with a player of this type? And we've seen it. I know they're not identical players, uh, but we've seen it with RG3 bursting onto the scene and then never being the same after, after his injury. Is that, is that the main concern that sooner or later, whether defenses catch up with the overall game plan or not, that Lamar Jackson is going to get himself hurt? Absolutely. It always has been uh, when you look at a, at a good running quarterback. And I think that might be a good thing for next week's top five might be to look at um, dual threat running, running quarterbacks. But that's, that's, that's why, um, you know, that's why co- uh, pro teams have always been a little bit loath to, to draft guys high who are sure. great college players because they run, because the theory was that, when you play a college team, you know, you often, especially at the bigger colleges, you have a huge advantage um, over them. You have much more talent um, and they don't have that many great players on their defense. So, so your quarterback can, has an easier time running through when you get to the pros, there's quicker, harder hitting, smarter, better coached 
players on the defense. So it makes it harder for your quarterback to always avoid them. And sooner or later, he's going to get hit. And, you know, I think it's inevitable even for Lamar. Um, and it's something that you have to keep in mind as the season goes on. But he does such a good job of protecting himself from big hits. Let's talk about his progression, Mike, because as we've discussed many a time, young quarterbacks, particularly rookie quarterbacks, rarely, if ever, uh, the finished article when they come into the NFL. But his uh, evolution, the speed and the rate at which he's propelled himself to the top of the tree to, to elite status, certainly in terms of the way he's playing right now, is is interesting because I don't think that many people saw it coming. And I don't want to necessarily get sucked into the debate of all the people that said he wasn't actually a quarterback, he should pay receiver. But those who looked at the start of this season, not many, I think, would have thought that Lamar Jackson would be playing at this level. Is it entirely down or primarily down to the system and therefore situation? He's in the right place at the right time for his talents. Or do you see more than that to it? Um, I looked at him a little bit like Teddy Bridgewater when Bridgewater came out and was being downgraded because he wasn't that big and his arm wasn't that strong. And, and some people were actually saying, oh, he's in the run first quarterback, when he very much wasn't. Um, and although Lamar was at, at Louisville, he was, he was a running quarterback, but um, so I had him, I didn't have him at the bottom of that draft class um, like the pros do, but you're right that he went into a good situation, but, I think it's a it's a it's more than that because the Ravens weren't set up for Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Right, he wasn't the guy they targeted. He was their third pick in the first round. They traded back into the first round when they saw he was still there. The value was there, yeah, yeah, and um, and they had Joe Flacco at quarterback, who's pretty much the dynamic opposite of Lamar <laughs> Jackson as, as, as a player. Yeah, I, I, you know, you couldn't find a, a a better contrast for Lamar than Joe Flacco. Have you seen me play quarterback, Mike? Because I probably... <laughs> <laughs> you'd come closer on the Lamar on the Lamar <laughs> yeah. side oh, thanks, as you as you were running for your life, um, right. but. But um, as 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 NFL has adapted offensively to to a lot of the systems that the colleges put in um, the wider the spread offenses the the wider gaps. This Baltimore one is actually a throwback in a lot of ways, uh, with with more narrow gaps with the linemen. They're they're lining up in power running formations that re- remind me of single wing. You know, with with all four backs in the backfield in positions where they could run or block, um, and that's that that's the bottom line with any running quarterback uh, is that when you have a quarterback who's a threat to run and has to be accounted for, you change the equation from nine on eleven to ten on eleven. Um, right the offense against the defense because you all now you have ten guys who can block for your ball carrier instead of just nine, um, and. I, I think that's the biggest thing was the Ravens saw that they had the talent, more talent in Lamar than they probably thought, that he was smarter. He adapted more quickly. Um, his arm was a little bit better than they thought. He was more accurate than they thought. Um, and, and the preternatural running skills were better than they thought. So they, they bit the bullet basically and they made the decision to go with Lamar. Um, he was out playing Flacco when they used him in bits. And so they said, okay, let's play him. But if we're going to play him, we're going to put him in the situation to succeed. You know, if Lamar Jackson were playing right now for the Dolphins, say, no one would be talking about him as an MVP. Right. Um, you know, I, he's a better, I think he's a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. 
but he would be in that same kind of position where people are saying, well, he's better than we thought. He's got potential. He's yeah, he's got potential, but, but look, yeah. and, and I'm looking at these arguments going on, and there was one going on today about, you know, yeah, he's better than Patrick Mahomes. Well, you know, we've got a very small sample size here. Right. Um, we don't necessarily have to say once, but, but, but how, how do we, why do we keep taking quarterbacks out of team context? You know, it, it's sure. still a team game. A quarterback does not win or lose a game for you. He can help you win more than any other player. He can, you know, help you lose more than, but most of what a quarterback does is in a team context. And, and you know, you have the you Brady have to, discussion, isn't it, Mike? The Brady debate there. Oh, if he, if that he, is absolutely. Put Peyton yeah. Manning in Foxborough, would they have won more Super Bowls? How would Brady have fared if he played for the Colts? Yada, yada, yada. But it, do, it does raise an interesting point. It's absolutely situation, right? But to your point, if Lamar Jackson was playing in a, in a struggling side, we wouldn't be talking about him at, 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 as an MVP, but certainly he wouldn't be playing at, at this level. But there are certain quarterbacks that are, are more adaptable, aren't there? That, that if you did put in a so – to Andrew Luck, for example, springs to mind straight away. That If you put Luck in most situations, of course, if the team was stronger, he'd be playing better. But he would adapt. He would, he would play proficiently in most situations, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, but, but think back and say how many – in how many of Luck's years did we actually talk about Luck as the MVP? Right. You know, maybe right. one, um, even though he was having great seasons, you know, and playing really well. Look at Max Staff- Matt Stafford's yeah, career, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, who's been a prolific pat. Look at Philip Rivers' career. I mean, Rivers was probably, I think he was third in the MVP voting last year. Yeah, um, kind of, has he all yeah. of a sudden become a horrible quarterback? Maybe because he's because of age or, or because of whatever. But isn't it more that, that his supporting cast has changed a bit and, and, you know, he's had problems at certain positions. Uh, um, It's a real, it's a real nightmare, which we intensify, I think, by demanding that someone be judged the best, (laughs) you know, automatically uh, the greatest ever. And Peter King had a great, when he was um, promoing his uh, football morning in America or whatever it is in um, in NBC, Mm. um, he, he said in the NFL, it's uh it's always smart or he said always smart to have recency bias the 49ers are capable of running the table now the 49ers go to baltimore this week <laughs> yes they do <laughs> now they are certainly capable of running there but when when they lose to baltimore this week is peter king going to come up next monday and say you know recency bias is the worst thing ever <laughs> just no like, and then next week when someone when when the niners says you know you've got to have recency bias i mean haven't we dismissed recency bias so haven't we dismissed kind of like jumping on bandwagons um, we have this week but we'll change our minds next week i think exactly. that is the answer to that question <laughs> i'm surprised he didn't drop the uh national football league as opposed to the nfl that's uh, that's what I'm yeah well you know that that's 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 kind of a, co- a commonplace now because if you're going to be a commentator in the national football league you yeah i, I was so happy time, to have Troy I, I've, used, I've reeled that out mike with you a few times when i've been waiting to see what we're doing a radio show like who scored so i've just dropped the national football <laughs> i myself a few more seconds sorry yeah. troy aikman you're one and all I was so friend. yeah i was so glad to have troy aikman back because you know um if you were watching red zone last week you only had two games in the late window yeah, yeah, so yeah. you were seeing a lot of the of the ache which i quite like team. mike because that's my only issue with red zone and god bless red zone what an amazing invention it is but i it does frustrate me that particularly when you're looking at a replay and analysis when when it's a good crew in there it just inevitably jumps to the next thing and so yeah ju- just, just as they're about it. to explain you know what the referee is going to say it cuts <laughs> yeah, away yeah, why there's a flag yeah. yeah but um and and it was awful that they they ended red zone before the patriots game finished 
um, I know, I know. Told viewers to go back to Fox, which of course does us no good in this country. Um, I, I assume they were just trying to direct viewers over to Fox. Um, yes, yeah, because yeah. it was it was like it was no longer a red zone situation, as you might. Say. It's as if they'd been forced out beyond the twenty by penalties. Um, but <laughs> Aikman had two great moments. One one was. Um, when the Cowboys went back to punt and Aikman said, you know, this is one of those situations where it's a good thing to punt. And, and immediately Matthew Slater blocked the punt and yes. <laughs> they scored a touchdown two plays later, but he had this wonderful Zen moment where he said, it looks to me like they're setting something up at some point. <laughs> and I just thought that's always true. That is always true. That's amazing. <laughs> even, even if they're not, <laughs> I'm going to write, I'm going to write that down and put it it's on. Pure my, J- it, it, I mean, Jason Garrett should have a t-shirt with that, you know, printed on it to Mike, wear what, on the sidelines. The, why the hell? And we do, we covered this briefly on, on the Monday show, but I'm keen to get your take on it. What the hell was Jason Garrett thinking, kicking that field goal? The only thing I can think of, Mike, the only rationale for it is he thinks, well, our defense will do the job. We'll get the ball back, and if we then score a touchdown, we win the game. That's right. the only thing I can think of. But anyway. right, and although you know, if he goes for the touchdown and doesn't get it, the same thing would apply, and they score a touchdown, and then they would either tie the game or win it with a two point conversion. So, yes. so, so the whole equation was based on that small difference yes. um, between the second, you know, because with the field goal or missing the touchdown, you still would need a touchdown. Uh, to win and one of the basic arguments of the touch you know when you need when you need a touchdown and a field goal mm-hmm. one of the basic arguments is when you're inside the 10 yard line even if it's fourth down now you should take take the shot go for it yeah at the touchdown because you don't know where you'll be at the end of the second drive mm-hmm. and if you're at the 28 yard line you're going to have a bad shot at a touchdown but you have a decent shot at a field goal the field goal is an easier score to get so if you're in position for the touchdown, you ought to go for it if you, if you know you you know if you know you need those two scores. Ultimately, so, Garrett makes the call, but how much is someone like Kellen Moore in in this instance the the Cowboys' offensive coordinator in his ear, and how much are they discussing? That's it? a good question because normally you would think that the first thing the head coach would do would be to say to the the coordinator, "You got to pl- do, do you have a play for this?" Yeah, right. You know, do we have a play for this? Are we ready for this? And I don't know if Garrett did that or not, or if he just thought, you know, I'm not going to take the chance, which is, he's a conservative coach in most ways. You know, he's, and, and the best, the best thing I can say about him is probably that he's not a boat rocker. Mm. In other words, he keeps things calm. On a, on a franchise, which is often not known for calmness, um, sure. for, for sure. obvious reasons not, not over the, yeah. over the yeah. years. But I, I think there's, I've seen some speculation that, that if they don't win on, um, on Thursday against the Bills, that, that based on some of the things that Jerry Jones has said, which he doesn't normally say about Garrett, that Garrett mm. could be out. Um, and that would be a move, I think, not so much a reflection on Jason Garrett as a, put a firecracker up the collective butts of the Cowboys by Jerry yes. Jones. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If he's not safe, none of your jobs are safe. Yeah. And Jerry, of course, is facing this huge dilemma of whether or not to pay Dak Prescott, who was, uh, who was in the MVP running until, until, you know, they played in, in, in a Northeastern in Foxborough and the Patriots <laughs> held them completely in check. And now all of a sudden Dak Prescott's completely out of the MVP. Yeah, you know, I, like I say, there's still a lot of time to go. Uh, yeah, the, the comments from Jerry Jones, as you referenced, uh, 
increasingly uh, sinister as far as uh, the future of Jason Garrett is concerned. When you're general manager, which I am, says Jerry, those coaches are out there at my ultimate decision. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Wouldn't he make a great, like, you know, super villain in a James Bond movie. Great. I mean, wasn't, wasn't he built built for that? You know, or a Doctor Evil? You know, he <laughs> would be amazing in that. And also, I thought you were going to go down the WWE route thing because you, you channeled uh, Hulk Hogan earlier, and he'd be a great uh, heel manager as well, Jerry Jones. That's 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 very much true. Jason Garrett wouldn't be. No, Jason Garrett <laughs> would be quite a rubbish babyface. I think. No, you, you know who he would be? He would be the announcer. Um, like what's his name from the AW, uh, Steve Nelson or, or Mean Gene, even the guy who, who's oh, special. Don't, don't take Mean Gene's name. Who's, no, whose specialty is looking incredulous. Oh, <laughs> when, when he's hearing, Gene. when he's hearing all this, this stuff. The, the best look in the business. Mean Gene is one of, as you well know, Mike, but for our listeners, one of my all time heroes. The man is an <laughs> underrated genius. So Jason Garrett, uh, isn't an underrated genius. His time could be numbered at, uh, at Dallas, interesting report from Ian Rappaport. And we actually took, took uh, a pop at this a week or so ago when the story first broke because I was re- referencing Mike Lombardi, um, who has a pod. And he was, uh, he'd read a, a report coming out of Jersey that the Giants were interested in Jason Garrett if the Cowboys move on. And they were laughing about that on the pod. Now, Ian Rappaport, yeah. a serious uh, NFL source, is saying, well, there's actually uh, a fair amount of validity in, in that, in that rumor that, that Jason Garrett could end up being the Giants head coach next season. That'd be something. It, it, it's interesting because the Giants are one of those teams that, that prize, um, not rocking the boat. Mm. You know, they look at themselves as being a steady, a steady kind of franchise, kind of like the Steelers. And it's no coincidence that Rooney Mara is the actress and, and her sister are a product of a marriage between the two dynasties there at, in Pittsburgh and, um, and New, New York. Although, you oh, know, I never knew that connection. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's her, Kate Mara and Rooney Mara. I never, yeah. Never they're, they're, connection. you know, they're a, a Rooney married a Mara. Um, and they've, of course, they've never, they haven't been as steady as, as the Steelers, not since the day when they, you know, the days when they, um, hired, uh, Ali Sherman and then trade, you know, got rid of all the players that made them great. And, and then ever since then, the Giants, with the exception of the Parcells years, have been, you know, relatively, um, unsteady and, and the Coughlin years, they won the two Super Bowls, but it was a real up and down kind of, kind of thing with them and um so i think they would like jason garrett as a steady hand but yeah. I, I think a lot you know actually when i when i think about it kyle uh, pat Shermer is an offensive coordinator for jason garrett would probably be a fairly efficient way uh for that team to go yeah um although i you won't keep you know Shermer's not going to step down and be an offensive coordinator but they've got daniel jones there and you don't want to blow that I'd you don't want to blow a sixth round pick, you know, with, with a guy who obviously has the potential to be a good quarterback in the league. Um, but a top six pick, you mean, as opposed to six round? Yeah. 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 Did I say sixth round? Yeah. Six round. Top, top He's six not playing pick. that badly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, he's got the potential to be a good quarterback in the league, but like a lot of young quarterbacks going into bad situations, um, it's really hard for him to progress, uh, when he's fighting for his life most of the time. Mike, quick line from you on the big game at the weekend and the 49ers-Ravens. Break down what you think the key battles in that one are going to be. I think the key battle is Robert Saleh against the Baltimore offense. I'm really curious to see how he decides to play against the Ravens because he's got, you know, a real talented four-man defensive line, probably the best one in the league. Um, And he's got 
in Fred Warner, a very, very mobile middle linebacker. And I know Warner wasn't their middle linebacker at the start of the season, but Quan Alexander got hurt. Um, but he, you know, but he's fine in that role. So, you know, they can theoretically, uh, be, be able to contain Jackson and maybe, maybe, um, stop him on runs. They got a good secondary with Sherman and, and Witherspoon. But of course, the thing with the Ravens is that you, who do you shut down? Because they don't, you know, it's not a team with a number one receiver they depend on. It's not, there's not a Michael Thomas situation there. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is a balanced offense. So that makes it harder for you to play. So, so that you probably play a lot of zone. Um, because when you play zone, your defensive backs can have their eyes on the quarterback. Uh, and that's, that's the simple thing. And that's what their passing game takes takes uh takes like into account. So I, I think you will see a lot of zone, a lot of kind of Seattle concepts um against them. But you know, the Seahawks didn't didn't have much success, but they're a better defensive team than the Seahawks. So offensively it's a interesting story too, because the success of the Ravens offense uh, defense, sorry, is not they're not as good as they were last year, say, but the return of Jimmy Smith and the and the pickup of Marcus Peters has made the front seven better because they can lock down receivers and and Peters with Earl Thomas behind him has the freedom to gamble a bit you know right. and and they can play him in shorter zones like they did you saw his interception you know he's sitting mm-hmm. under the root and he's free to watch the quarterback and then react to the ball because he knows if he guesses wrong on the pass or if the quarterback fakes him with the eyes Earl Thomas is still behind him to take that receiver deep uh and that's up, yeah. very deadly because Peters has the best ball skills of almost any corner in the league um yeah, and if he question. does and Sherman probably does so um and those you know those are the things and the other question is simply can Jimmy G produce against against that Ravens defense and right. and um you know with if Emmanuel Sanders is ready to go um Debo is moving up very quickly like Hollywood Brown they're both acclimating very quickly to the mm. league they're both going to be good receivers and Kittle obviously is back and that's to me Kittle's the guy you stop on that team uh if you control Kittle you can control the rest of the game uh, and the other thing I wouldn't be surprised to see is is more passing to the backs downfield. Although I, I haven't seen what Breida's situation is, but you know, but Tevin Coleman can do that as he did um, for the Falcons when Shanahan was there. I think it's going to be a great matchup. Uh, but I think at home, you 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 know, with the Niners traveling to the East Coast, I think you really have to give the advantage to Baltimore. Well, uh, the bookies certainly do. The uh, San Francisco Chronicle reporting the 49ers the first ten and one team in more than a decade uh, to uh, go in as an underdog. Extraordinary. Uh, the underdog on the right. There's also, Mike, going to be weather. Uh, you'll be delighted to hear in Baltimore there's going to be some weather on uh, oh, really? uh, on Sunday. Yeah, but it's looking well. They're not uh, quite the same levels we saw at Foxborough for the Cowboys-Patriots. But it looks yeah, like it's bad, I, again, miserable. I would I would think bad weather helps the um, Ravens. Helps the Ravens yeah. uh, with with the run first thing. And and the interesting thing too with San Francisco is that they got they've got Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey back. They're they're two starting tackles. And, yeah. and they went undefeated. You know, they went eight zero without them. Um, and it's taken them a few weeks to. play play back to their form basically uh, and i find that fascinating trying to watch if they're actually a better team with those two guys than they were than they were without them um it, which you know you would think automatically yes but 
But uh, this will be a game that sort of shows you whether that's true or not because there'll be a lot of pressure on those two guys. Right, let's get to the mailbag, Mike, because we're going to get your top five in as well. There are some goodies. You mentioned Matthew Slater earlier on, one of the great Patriots, definitely an unsung hero, of course, because he does all his work in the often uh, anonymous, certainly uh, understated zone of special teams. Reese asks, do special teams mavens make the Hall of Fame? Matthew Slater has made some huge plays with the Patriots this season after a pretty stellar career. Is he going to make it to Canton? I think he's got a really good chance, uh, partly because he's done it for so long. And normally the guys who get the best special teams reputations uh, in the long term are the ones who make a few big plays when they're on a nas- when they have a national audience. Yes. Um, Don Beebe being the, the most obvious example, I think. Um, and maybe um, Harris, Cliff Harris from the, uh, oh, he was a safety uh, as well. Um, and and BB was a receiver. I, I think of a pure special teams guy, he's probably got the best chance of anyone, partly because he's done it for so long, partly because he's been in the spotlight because he's been so good for so long. Uh, and partly because I think the Patriots are a team that recognizes that and they pay that. You know, they have more guys on their roster who are basically special teams players who only will play, uh, you know, in the other phases of the game in an emergency uh, than I think any team I can, re- I can think of. Um, and they do it consistently. There's always, there's always like four or five guys on that team who are listed as safeties or linebackers or, or wide receivers like Slater, but they don't actually play those positions unless they absolutely have to. Uh, thanks for that question, uh, Reese. Appreciate that. Sorry, just trying to find your name. There we go, Reese. Uh, appreciate that. <laughs> At the NC show is how you get in touch with a couple more for you, Mike. Uh, James asks, is Gilmore, Stefan Gilmore, the best corner in the game right now? Or is there anyone else in the league who could claim to be? Gilmore, of course, completely shut out uh, Amari Cooper in the Patriots-Cowboys game, further uh, cementing his reputation as uh, as an elite corner. Is he the best in the business? I think he's the best right now, for sure. Um, I mean, you know, he's he's showing it this season um, when, when they put him on. And, and he's they're doing something that the Patriots don't often do, which is putting him on the other team's best receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Patriots plan often used to be you would put your shutdown corner on the second best receiver and you would double the best receiver. Right. Uh, and um, that way you, it was sort of like taking care of two birds with one stone. So they changed and, that because Gilmore's so good. Yes, absolutely. Um, I saw an interesting thing yesterday where someone – Someone was arguing that Gilmore was the best corner in the league right now, and their pick for second place um, was um, Ladavius White uh, at Buffalo, which I think is a really astute um, analysis there because um, he's, uh, you know, Tredavious. Did I say Ladavius? Yeah, Tredavious White um, because he's he's really good um, and doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and like a, and unlike a lot of guys, he's actually. One of the one of the one of the corners in the league who I think is late, less prone to the kind of hand fighting, eye playing back to the quarterback um, risk of interference. Um, uh, you know, of of all the guys in the league, um, the usual suspects are are you know up there as well. And I, I think I think I used to I used to think Lattimore was um, was on his way. Uh, you know, to being the best or one of the best. And I still think he is, but, but he hasn't stood out this year. He's had um, injury issues, hasn't he? Which, yeah. He's had injury issues and that's, that's, that's been a problem for him. I mean, Xavier Rhodes, um, 
and Trey Wayne's, you know, is a good combo um, there. And um, Humphrey will get some votes, although I think Humphrey's one of those guys who who really does take advantage of the, of the pass interference laxness, and and that's always a risk. Slay, of course, is always in that that Jaylen, conversation it's as, well. Be as well. Even though Jalen Ramsey is too, but although. Day. Yeah, I mean, on Monday. that was great on Monday, wasn't it? When Jalen Ramsey said something to Peters, Marcus yeah, Peters yeah. and Peter, Peters, I think I could see what the first two words were <laughs> very, <laughs> very clearly lip reading. But, uh, after that, I think, I think he just suggested, um, looking where his team was and where the Rams were now. I tell you what, I mean, Jalen Ramsey, we met, uh, over the, the summer and really liked him, thought, thought he was a great guy, but Marcus Peters looks like he would do some damage. <laughs> so, uh, I think, <laughs> I think Peters would win that one. Uh, one more and then your top five, Mike. This is a goodie. Uh, an old school ask Mike actually for those who remember. Uh, Jamie asks, what are Mike's favorite De Niro films with the Irishman? Dropping soon. The Irishman. Goes I haven't. Out. Yeah, I haven't seen Netflix. The Irishman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Netflix. Although, although I read, I've read um, the book. Yeah. I heard. I heard you paint houses, which is really good. Mm. Um, my favorite De Niro films. Um, Heat would be in that oh, list. Great Godfather Two has to be in that list. I think sure. Nineteen Hundred is one of his best performances. Although most people don't see it um it's a bertolucci film i haven't seen it haven't about seen it. italian um revolutionaries uh, socialists you're missing, the deer, of, you're missing the deer hunter and that's got to be i'm not a big deer hunter oh, fan yeah. really no. that was um, and and although although i love taxi driver yeah um, um it, it to me it's it, it's a pretty easy performance for him. Um, and, and he's such a good actor. I'm kind of looking for the ones that are difficult performances. Um, you You're know, missing he, the most obvious one, Mike, meet the, meet the parents, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, he, he actually, without him, those movies would be awful. Well, I don't know. The first one, the script's good as well. Uh, I mean, he does, he, he elevates it to, uh, to the level yeah, of he, that that's exactly that's exactly it and and it's because he's still you know, he's well. trying to play it very straight and yeah exactly the straighter he plays it the, the better the better he is uh mean mean um mean streets is yeah. is is a good one i think because that sets a sort of pattern uh for the rest of his career and and how could i i forget um um, Rocky ra- raging, raging bull. <laughs> Rage, of course. No, raging bull, maybe his greatest performance. And Goodfellas, and our, as well. Goodfellas, we haven't mentioned. I mean, God Goodfellas so. is is Goodfellas is, but it, you know, does, does he stand out? That movie gets stolen basically by Joe Pesci, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and and by then he's into that set character. That's that, that's always been. Um, that's all. Casino is not yeah. a bad, you yeah. know, not a bad performance. Basically, every De Niro film other than Rocky. Yeah, Bull, I mean, he is unquestionably the great. I think the great actor of his generation. Probably, I'm trying to think if that's if if that's if there's a, a tight contender in that. Have you ever seen Bang the Drum Slowly? No, I where haven't. He, where he plays, it's based on a Mark Harris novel. He uh, about a uh, a mediocre major league catcher. Who, who gets a, a rare disease and, um, it's narrated by a pitcher who's played by Michael Moriarty. Mm. Um, and for all of his, uh, method acting brilliance, De Niro can't throw a baseball or <laughs> <laughs> he's not a very convincing catcher, although it's a very convincing performance. And, and this was Brian's song before Brian's song, but it got released after Brian's song. So because of the similarity of the themes, it got almost, no attention at all. But like, it, you never cease to amaze me. We worked together, God, I don't know, 15 odd years, and we've talked about a lot of things. I've, I don't think you've ever 
mentioned that film to me before. And it looks well, good. in the in the movie, the the players who are kind of like in the know, you know, the the, the cool guys, they they sit in the hotel lobby and they play Teguar, a card game. Which Teguar stands for the exciting game without any rules. Okay. And they're basically just making it up as they go along. And, and so he's not a very intelligent guy, the catcher that, that De Niro plays. And he's watching along and he can never figure it out because they're always creating some reason for that. And then when, when all of a sudden they realize, you know, they need to accept him into the group, they start teaching him about Teguar and, and, you know, and then of course, the team turns around, you know, and you get, you get that kind of, when we all play together, it's great. And, yeah. And I love it. Stuff. It's, a, it's a, it's a movie worth seeking out though. It's one of the better baseball movies. I, it is on my list. I'm Mike and appreciate uh, the question, Jamie, right. Tough your top five. Uh, and it is unsurprisingly Thanksgiving theme, Mike this week. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm kind of going with a kind of personal top five for memorable, not necessarily the best games because there's just so many of them um, uh, to, to be good. And, and I, so I've eliminated like the Dallas when Jason Garrett had probably the best game of his um, pro career mm. for Dallas on a, on a Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, you know, there's a couple of others that, that almost made the list, but didn't, but in fifth place um, is a tie between Phil Luckett, the famous Phil Luckett game, which was Detroit and Pittsburgh, where Jerome Bettis in overtime called tails, and Phil Luckett said, the call is heads. <laughs> and yeah. it was tails, and the ball went to Detroit, and they won the overtime game in 1916 <laughs> and 1998. I've also tended to go toward games I remember or, or had a connection with, um, which you'll see in a minute, because you were there occasionally, too. Um, the 92 Houston Detroit game, uh, Houston 24, Detroit 21, because it was the greatest performance by Cody Carlson, the greatest ah, Carlson to ever play quarterback in the, he had his one great performance as a, as a player, um, through for 338 yards. I've got that written down. And, um, I've got to dig out a Cody Carlson jersey if you might. Houston somewhere on eBay, there'll be a. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the funny thing too is that the traditions of Thanksgiving, the Dallas playing on Thanksgiving has actually lasted longer than most. And, you know, the Chicago Detroit thing didn't last as long as say Detroit Green Bay. And we'll Mm. talk about that in a second. Um, at, at number four are the good and bad Cowboys in 74, uh, game I remember watching, uh, on Thanksgiving, Clint Longley, um, replacing Roger Staubach. And when, when Staubach got injured and hitting, um, Drew Pearson with a 50 yard touchdown pass with about half a minute to go in the game to beat Washington. Um, I think they were down like 16 three or something when Staubach got hurt. They won 24 23. And then there was, of course, the 93 game where Leon let touched the block field goal it was against Miami, uh, a legendary game in Miami. Um, Stoyanovich had the field goal blocked from 41. The ball rolled toward the goal line and Leon Lett for some reason touched it, which made it a free ball again. <laughs> and Miami recovered and Stoyanovich then kicked a 19 yard field goal to win, to win that game, um, 16 14. Legend. Um, at number three, another tie because they're two tied games that I remember watching as a kid in 63, the paper Lions season for the mm-hmm. Lions. Um, the Packers and Lions tied at 13. Um, I remember it because Nick Petrosanti, who was a fullback for the Lions and was from Derby, Connecticut, just up the road from where I live, scored the Lions to only touchdown in that game. Um, Boyd Dowler had a huge game for the Packers, and I liked Boyd Dowler as a result of that. Elijah Pitts, Ron Pitts' dad, 
um, ran eight times for no yards and scored the only <laughs> touch, the other touchdown uh, for Green Bay. And Jerry Kramer missed an extra point or else they would have won, missed two field goals. Uh, but he was a guard. And Wayne Walker was two for five on field goals for the Lions, but he was a linebacker. Those were the days when teams didn't have dedicated kickers. That was the game that got Lombardi to say to the NFL, we're not playing on Thanksgiving anymore. Uh-uh. And the famous quote from Lombardi is, four days is not enough time to get ready for a game. Got Tell it, that eh? to the commissioner. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then in, in 66, there was a an, an AFL game on Thanksgiving mm. on ABC, the Chargers and Bills. Uh, the Chargers had killed the Bills earlier in the season in San Diego, but this one was a 2020 tie, which featured the play I remember, um, John Hadel throwing to Lance Allworth, about a 75-yard pass that Allworth fumbled when he was tackled. Um Hadel then fumbled late in the game when they were going for a touchdown, but Paul Lowe recovered it in the end zone, which put, which put them ahead. And then um, Jack Kemp scrambled late in the game, a couple of passes, and then a scramble went out of bounds. And Pete Gogolak, my, uh, the first ever soccer style kicker, kicked the 22 yard field goal to tie the game. And then um, Buffalo beat. Uh, the Chargers in the AF, AFL championship at the end of that season. And um, running down now, number two, a game that um, we were doing. I think you were with me on Channel 5 in, nine, in 98, but it might have been when I was still yeah, oh, That was before my time. Yeah, it was Mark then. Uh, Minnesota 48, Dallas 36. Uh, that was the Randy Moss breakout game. And you remember I said that we tend to remember players who have their big games on a oh, national right, stage. Yeah. Well, that, that was the one that put Randy Moss on the map because he caught three passes in that game, which were 51, 56, and 58-yard touchdown passes oh, from wow. Randall Cunningham. It's a, three for 163 and three touchdowns is one of the more <laughs> unusual receiving stuff. You'll see Troy Aikman threw for 455 yards in that game, but they were mostly playing from behind. But the thing I remember best about it was doing the highlights for mm. the um, for the Monday show the following the following week, uh, week and doing the highlights of it. And every time Richie Cunningham came on to kick for the Cowboys, I got to like do happy days. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the Fonz essentially, so yeah. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, you can say that. But the number one, the most memorable Thanksgiving moment of all time has to be, has to be the 2012 game, which you and I were at. Well, I don't know if you were still around. You might have gone home, but we were doing a personal appearance thing at the number one sports bar <laughs> yeah, right. on yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. And this was the Patriots against the Jets. Yep. 49-17. It was the butt fumble game. I'd gone home. I mean, You'd gone home. You missed I the missed butt it. fumble. Yeah. I mean, you know what I did? Because you know how when I say Jets, Rufus normally barks, and yes. he's sitting here now completely placid. What, 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 what I did. <laughs> That's not Rufus, is it? No. <laughs> Can't talk. Call you back. Okay, you ready? Was that Mark Sanchez? Tell me that was I don't, I don't know. I don't even know who it was. <laughs> And you know how you know how Rufus, my dog, would always bark when I say Jets because it offended him so much. What I did um, this week was aversion therapy. I just showed him the butt fumble over and over again until he realized that the, <laughs> the Jets weren't a threat and he oh, could not. Rufus. He didn't have to take them seriously anymore. No, the best thing about that play, I mean, and there's so many things. I mean, but this is Thanksgiving, right? And we're talking about Thanksgiving turkeys. <laughs> right. The whole Jets thing, Eric Mangini. Was you know, <laughs> um, Mark Sanchez lives were changed by this play. Um, sure. Sanchez, you know, he turns the wrong way on the handoff so that uh, 
Lex Hilliard, the fullback, just goes like he shrugs and says, "Okay, I'll just go block somebody." And then Sanchez runs <laughs> into Brandon Moore, who was a former Scottish Claymore. So you know, it was like we're rooting for Brandon Moore to yeah. have a great career, but his career is now remembered as the butt that Mark Sanchez <laughs> ran into. <laughs> yeah. And Gregory goes in for the touchdown, obviously, and the, the Pats go up twenty-one nothing. But people forget what happened next hmm. on the ensuing kickoff. Joe McKnight fumbles the kickoff, <laughs> right. and Julian Edelman picks it up and goes in. And here's Julian Edelman's playing special teams. We yes. Remember, we were talking about the Patriots and special teams. They've got Edelman playing special teams in 2012, yeah. and Edelman picks it up and goes in for another touchdown. So in the space of, of what, 10 seconds, <laughs> the Jets have gone from 14 nothing down to 28 nothing down based on a butt fumble and a kickoff fumble. <laughs> and I just thought – how much better can life be than this? You know, it, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily have the kind, the same kind of, um, um, a non affinity for the Jets that I do for like the Cowboys or the Redskins or two teams that I kind of just actively dislike. Um, but, you know, but I've never, but I've always thought the Jets are kind of great comic relief and, uh, they never were better. They never were better than this. J E S T. Jets. <laughs> Loving your work. Loving your top five. And indeed, uh, everything today. I'm Mike Cracking Stuff at Carlson Sports. If you want to follow the big man on uh, Twitter, patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMTE to read more of his football stylings. Look after yourself. Happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. I, you know, uh, you know, don't take too many turkeys. <laughs> uh, we will definitely be raising a glass to you at the, uh, with the yeah, because you obviously got family, family stuff you got to deal with. But at ESPN, well, this, this year, I don't, I don't think so. The problem, the problem when you're living with a 16 year old is if you cook Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner indeed for him, he just wolfs it down in five minutes to get back on the internet. Get back on YouTube. Yeah. Fair it's enough. like, it's like who cares? And, and for Americans, Thanksgiving is always problematic because it's just a normal day and people are working. So you can't really indulge yourself with the tryptophan and wine overdose that you, that you normally would. Um, but we'll, tr- we'll manage Make one an way exception. or another. Make an exception this, uh, <laughs> this year. Look after yourself, Mike. Uh, see you next week. Bye bye. Cracking stuff from I and Mike now. We're going to check in with Ben Isaacs very shortly. Rivalry weekend in the States. Uh, if you like your college football, I'm sure you do. ESPN player is where you catch it all. We'll check in with Ben and look at the new playoff rankings that have just come out and get his perspective on how they might change after this weekend's action. Before we get into that, though, uh, a quick shout out to our headline sponsors, uh, the terrific Paddy Power Fantasy, who have once again put together a listener league for you guys. Free to enter, cash prizes, you pick your teams from the six o'clock games. You get a budget of £60,000. Uh, mix and match those with the points, the most points anyway, win cash prizes. What is not to love? Get involved with that. Head on over to Paddy Power Fantasy. Push the link out across our social media channels as well and stick it in the bio so you'll be able to find it there easily. A lot of you enjoying the game. A lot of you winning. I lost again to OG. Unbelievably. I actually had quite a decent team this week, but I still lost. It is, that's how it should be though, right? The OG should be taking care of business, uh, when it comes to daily fantasy. But see, do me a favor because I'm not going to beat him quite obviously. See if you can. Please just <laughs> wipe the smug smile off his face this weekend. Get involved. Paddy Power Fantasy. All good fun. Right. Let's roll on. Bit of college football with Ben Isaacs. Ben Isaacs, it wouldn't be a Thanksgiving special without you on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm thankful to be here. 
Oh, <laughs> oh nice. God. Dropping the bombs already. I'm loving your work. Uh, right then, the new college playoff rankings uh, have come out a couple of hours ago. Hot off the press. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are um, scorching hot. Uh, scorching hot. So uh, let's look at them and uh, find out those teams that are involved, top seven, uh, what they're up to this weekend and whether that will change things down the line. Starting right at the top, the number one seed, Ohio State, the biggies. And it's a reasonably big game for them this weekend. Yeah, they're playing Michigan and those teams hate each other more than, you know, if, if you're an NFL fan and you don't watch college football and you think, say, um, the Bears and the Packers hate each other or the, the Jets and the Patriots, it's nothing compared with something like Ohio State and Michigan. A lot of the, a lot of the fans of those teams won't even say the name of the other team. So is this it, is, but is it Rocky Drago, Rocky Four Levels? Oh, it's, I would say that, uh, times 10. Wow. I don't want to oversell it, but it's like 10 Rocky Fours. Wow. So, um, Ohio State, they've been moved up to number one after their big win over, over Penn State, although anyone who listened to me um, will know that they did not cover the spread as I tipped. Um, but they, <laughs> <laughs> they, I, might, I might have followed your lead on that one, yep. Yeah. Um, so Ohio State have already clinched their division, um, so they're going to be in the Big Ten Championship game no matter what. But if they lose to Michigan, they are going to tumble down the down this top four and possibly drop out of the top four. And this year, more than any other year, being number one is huge. And here's why. There's probably three teams that are a lot better than the others or have been so far, Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson. If you're ranked number one, you're going to avoid number two and three, and you're going to play the weakest of those four. Now you think, okay, well, every year you number one plays number four, and that's the weakest. But it seems like there's more of a gap between three and four this year. I would expect Ohio State to beat Michigan. I did think at the start of the year this was going to be Michigan's season. It has not been. Ohio State have put together an incredible team. Chase Young, um, the defensive end, is just he's one of the best players in college football. And if it wasn't for the fact it's so hard for a defensive player to win the Heisman, he would be right there in the Heisman mix. I expect Ohio State to win. And then next week, um, they will play in the uh, Big Ten Championship game against Minnesota and Wisconsin. Those teams actually play this week with the winner going through to the final. So if going through your rationale here, how close are the number two ranked side LSU to Ohio State? I would say it's incredibly close. Um, Ohio State, obviously, because of that Penn State win, were, were moved to the top. But if someone made the argument that LSU were number one, it's, it's, it's difficult to dispute that. They have looked so good all season. Like Ohio State, they are unbeaten. They've got a really big game this week, as you can imagine. It's, you know, it's, it's rivalry week. LSU's rivalry game is Texas A&M. It's a newer rivalry. Uh, geographically, they're very close to each other. They play, uh, um, at midnight on ESPN player. I'm really looking forward to that. Joe Burrow against a, another good SEC defense. Now, LSU are already in the SEC championship game, as are the team they will play, Georgia. But again, it's not about, oh, it doesn't matter. We're going to finish top of our division. They need to be unbeaten to stay in that top three. Mm-hmm. So LSU, I would expect, again, like Ohio State, I expect them to win and keep their ranking. Clemson a third. Uh, and to your point, these three kind of breaking away from Georgia, who are fourth. Yeah. Uh, who have Clemson got this weekend? So they're at South Carolina. Again, that's their big rivalry game. It should be comfortable because Clemson have been very comfortable in every game bar one, and they do that every season. They have one bad game every season, and even then they usually win it. Clemson haven't really been tested. And what we know about that is that 
if they were to somehow lose to South Carolina, let's not forget South Carolina, although they're not a great team, they did beat Georgia, which was a big shock. If they beat Clemson, Clemson are done. Their season is over. They will play in the ACC championship game next week against either Virginia or Virginia Tech, but it will be meaningless. A one-loss Clemson will not make the playoff. Their, their schedule isn't strong enough. They need to be absolutely perfect. So they cannot take the foot off the pedal against South Carolina. I would expect them to win. And whoever they end up playing next week in the uh, championship game, I expect them to win that as well. Now, a huge game featuring the number five seed, Alabama, and no longer with two, of course, as uh, we've covered uh, fairly extensively on at the pod. Uh, and that is evidently going to significantly damage their opportunity to uh, to win a championship, certainly even make the, the top four. But they're there in a keenly poised at five, but a huge game against Auburn this weekend. Again, talking about big rivalries, mm. this has to be one of the biggest in college football, right? Oh, yeah. This one is amazing, and there's been so many incredible moments over the years, in particular the kick six, where um, where uh, Alabama are all set to win, and Auburn, uh, Auburn return a field goal for, for a win. This this time, it's going to be in the hands of Mac Jones rather than Tua Tungavailo, which is going to make things difficult for Alabama. Auburn are a good team. Jerry Judy, I still think he's the best wide receiver in college football, is a huge weapon for Alabama and will make Mac Jones' life a lot easier. But if I was an Alabama fan, I'd be worried that even if Alabama win, the fact that number four Georgia at home to Georgia Tech in their rivalry game, that's ESPN player, 5 p.m., if Georgia win, it's very difficult for Alabama to do anything really um alabama won't play next week they're not in the sec championship game no matter what happens against auburn georgia are locked into that and if georgia beat georgia tech then alabama have got a hope that they get destroyed by lsu and that the voters start to think oh maybe alabama are better than georgia mm. it's going to be very tough going to be odd without uh without alabama in the top four just a quick one on auburn's quarterback bo nick so watch a bit of auburn uh, this hmm. season and uh, I wanted to get your perspective on him uh, because we've talked about a lot of other quarterbacks I haven't really referenced him he's a freshman isn't he so that's yeah, possibly so right. we, but what, yeah, yeah, what do you make of what you see um he's he's a very good dual threat quarterback he's developed far quicker and far better than um than anybody thought he's got great uh lineage because his um his dad was also starting quarterback at Auburn um his dad has given up his job as a as a high school coach to come and uh, watch Bo every single week. I think he could become um, one of the best quarterbacks in college football over the next over the next couple of years, providing he hasn't peaked too soon. He's a lot of fun to watch, as are Auburn in general. And I think he's someone we are going to be hearing a lot more about in the next couple of years. But he's got a, he's got a few more years of college football ahead of him. Okay, thanks for that, Benny. Uh, six and seven, Utah and Oklahoma. So any opportunities for them to force their way into the reckoning? Um, yes, probably Utah more so than Oklahoma. So Utah, they're at home against Colorado at 12.30 a.m. on ESPN Player. They've been, they've been another team really great to watch. Tyler Huntley is a kind of sleeper pick at quarterback. He's really good at sort of, it seems that he's about to be sacked and then he wriggles out and manages to kind of make a first down either with, he's got a great arm or, or with his elusive running. So I expect them to beat Colorado. And they will then play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game next week. Now, if if Utah look good against Colorado and Oregon, then they've got the chance to make in number four. Because don't forget, one of that top four, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, one of them has to lose because Georgia are playing LSU 
next week. So if Georgia lose that, then Utah have got the chance as a one-loss conference champion to leapfrog Georgia, a two-loss team without a championship, in the eyes of the voters. So Oklahoma have the same situation. They're at home against Oklahoma State. I would expect them to win that game, but they call that game Bedlam, which will tell you what to expect in that sort of game and how unpredictable (laughs) it can be. But again, if Oklahoma win, they've got the Big 12 championship game coming up and they win that. One of these one-loss conference champions, such as Utah and Oklahoma, have got a great chance of making that top four. This is Alabama's problem. They don't play next week. All the other teams we've talked about have another game to show the voters how good they are. So Alabama really behind the eight ball. I think my prediction will be Georgia lose to LSU in the championship game and Utah take that number four slot. And they will, they will be the ones at the moment facing Ohio State, which just feels like an impossible task. And LSU Clemson would make an incredible semi-final. I've got one caveat here. It seems that every college season, there is one week where it goes absolutely bananas. The teams, teams lose that you would never expect it to lose. And it's, it creates chaos. And it's like, it's like you have to kind of rip up the rankings and start again. We haven't had that this season. So time is running out. If it is going to happen, it's going to be rivalry week. So it's a very intriguing week that could cause incredible commotion, or we're going to see the best teams make a statement ahead of the championship games next weekend. It's it's a great weekend of football, and even you've got your, you've got your NFL games on Thanksgiving. Then if Friday night, eight thirty on ESPN Play, Cincinnati versus Memphis. It's not it's not a playoff matchup, but the winner will uh, go to the. AAC championship game and will be the highest ranked non power five team. And that's a big deal because for the likes of Cincinnati and Memphis who are playing this Friday, getting into one of those massive bowl games is huge for recruiting. It's the sort of thing that can kind of set up the program for the next five years. So that's eight 30 Friday night on ESPN player, Cincinnati v Memphis Friday night football, you know, just have the whole weekend of it. Yeah, yeah I mean, why would you even consider doing anything else? Uh, exactly. Like just have a whole weekend of football. Exactly. I love it. ESPN Player is where you head for all of that. Uh, terrific stuff, Benny. Happy Thanksgiving, man. We'll check in with you soon. Yep, you too. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much. But, you know, I know you all will. <laughs> Look after yourself. You too. Ben Isaacs, superb work from him. We'll keep it the Ben's coming thick and fast. Uh, ben Mortimer, some of you will remember from earlier on, in the season, the go-to guy, if you're thinking about a trip stateside, planning some gridiron action across the pond. He's just back from exactly that. So we thought we'd catch up with him and find out about some of the games, the stadiums, the cities that he visited to whet your appetite just a little bit. Ben, how are you? Good to have you back on. Hi, Nat. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I am very well, though uh, extremely jealous, insanely jealous, I think it's fair to say, of the last few weeks you've had, which uh, sound a lot more exciting than mine. You have covered a lot of ground stateside. We have, yeah. We've taken in uh, a lot of states and cities and stadiums and tailgates and games, but it's been uh, a lot of fun. We've had, uh, between the two tours, there are uh, roughly 50 people between the two of them, so uh, a lot of UK, Irish uh, had an Australian Spaniard uh, <laughs> out with us, and uh, yeah, we've been to a lot of a lot of stadiums and had a great time. Love that. So let's start with the most important thing: tailgates. I, I want to know because you must have 
uh, been to quite a few tailgates in your time. What is the secret to a great tailgate? What makes a great tailgate in your mind? Uh, firstly, the people, I suppose. You have to have uh, some sort of knowledgeable local fans that have been hopefully doing it in, in that sort of same spot for a number of years because you, you build up that uh, innate um, camaraderie there. So that's always a good uh, They always have the same point. patch, right? So it's kind of... Yeah, like they, season tickets, right? So they always they just grow familiarity for being there year after year. Yeah, and and they know the people in the you know the next tent along and 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 what have you. So uh, that that's always great. And obviously, location is quite important as well. If you can, um, I wouldn't say stumble to the stadium because you want to enjoy the game, but if you can uh, be in a nice. Uh, reach of it then you can enjoy it for as long as possible before you head in and uh, and then after that i'd say the food is always very important and if you can have somewhere that can serve up um, some fairly amazing local stuff preferably barbecued um, then that's always a good start as well <laughs> what is the percent i mean generalizing a little bit the percentage of fans who just rock up for the tailgate but don't actually go inside to watch the game uh, it's funny you mentioned. I mean, we were in Michigan for the Michigan uh, Michigan State game in, wow. in, in Ann Arbor, and, and that was yeah. uh, it was the twelve o'clock kickoff. So our bus left the hotel at seven a.m. We got to tailgate at eight a.m. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I think there was about a dozen people that just decided to stay in the tent with the heater and watch it on the big screen TV. Some of them <laughs> had tickets, yeah. but uh, but yeah, uh, some of them just hang out with the stuff to keep an eye on it, and some of them just want to play flip cup for three hours rather than go to the game. So. Was anyone drinking at eight o'clock in the morning? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I, I think it was was anyone not drinking at eight o'clock in the morning is the most salient <laughs> question. It's Michigan, we're it, talking about here. It's Michigan, and you know it was the third game on our uh, fourth game on our tour. So I think by then some of the guys were thinking, well, you know, we're only here once. Let's get the fireball out. So that's kind of <laughs> how, how it started. Well, again, slight generalization, but what would you or how would you qualify the difference between a college game? I mean, Ann Arbor is obviously extraordinary stadium and, and atmosphere, but a typical college game versus an NFL game in terms of atmosphere. Uh, it's it's a bit more constantly raucous. Uh, you have the. The, the college bands that uh, are, are present at most stadiums, so uh, they keep that sort of. I guess it's, it's it's what you see on 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 you know on on TV on a Saturday on college game day. It's, it's those sort of crazy kids that have nonstop energy, uh, as we may be able to remember from when we were roughly that age, eighteen to twenty-one. Mm. Um, there does seem to be more uh, <laughs> more ability to go through the fourth quarter. So I think. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the marching bands, they have you know, great pomp and ceremony, um, uh, traditions, you know, the mascots are always fun, uh, and uh, it's just a high, high energy. It's a bit like if you go to a college basketball game, I always prefer going to an NCAA college game than, a, than a, an NBA game, yeah. because you've got that high octane um, enthusiasm throughout, so it's, it's magical. I mean, you can't beat a college game day. Have you ever done March Madness, speaking of, speaking of college basketball? I've not uh, been. I used to fill in a bracket uh, every year when I lived in the U.S. because everyone it, it's mandatory. Even if you don't like basketball, you have to fill a bracket in for, for yeah. March Madness. So uh, I will. It's one of my bucket list ones. We do offer March Madness. Oh, we have to talk. And I stay will alive. Like we finished. Uh, we finished <laughs> yeah. the show. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get Ollie to uh, to work on that. Work on a bit of magic. Well, I think. I think what this show needs, Ollie, is a March Madness special. Even if we're an NFL show, we need to. We need to somehow qualify that. We'll work on that. That'll be. Uh, that's on my bucket list to uh, to do that. Uh, and. 
and uh, just uh, finally, Ben, so you covered a lot of ground. College, we talked about NFL. Did you get any high school games in this time around? Unfortunately, not on this trip. We, uh, it, it is something that is definitely recommended. Uh, it was a bit late this year. You have the uh, college, uh, the college football playoffs uh, kick in, uh, in in early November anyway. Um, but no, we didn't squeeze it in. We did two years ago when we were in. Uh, Baton Rouge, and we managed to go and see that team that that won the um, the championship in the end. But uh, this this time, no. But I would say, if you are in the US and you ask that even the hotel concierge, because obviously all these guys are, are, are local and they know who the the best high schools are. And normally, it's only a you know, maybe a, a ten dollar cab ride to the to the uh, nearest high school on a Friday night, and you can't beat Friday night lights. Oh, big time. Again, a bucket list. It's in the South. A Texas high school game. I've got to get that again. Ollie, write that one down. We need a special from, uh, from Texas, I think, in the offseason. Um, cracking stuff, Ben. If our listeners want to, want to do more, want to follow uh, your lead and get involved, where should they head? Uh, yes, you can go to our website, which is touchdowntrips.com. And then we're also on social media handily with the same, uh, handle of touchdown trips. So it's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram slash touchdown trips. Excellent. They are a fine crew and a lot of uh, guys that have uh, been on uh, the trips and uh, rave about them. So if you're thinking it for the first time, get involved there. Super Bowl as well. We're going to be out there at the Super Bowl. So what? I mean, for no other reason, forget Miami, forget the biggest game in world sports. The fact that this show is out there should be all the reason you need to get involved and book your book your trip to uh, Miami. We can watch De Niro films with Carlson. What's not to love with that? Uh, cracking stuff, Ben. Uh, appreciate it. Check in with us soon. Cheers, Matt. Thanks a lot. Fine work from Ben Mortimer to wrap things up. Appreciate, as ever, Ben Isaacs and, of course, Iron Mike on our Thanksgiving special. Hope you have enjoyed. I certainly have. Have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the games. Loving a triple header of football on Thursday night. We are back Friday. J-Bell in the house. Some huge matchups this weekend. Really looking forward to getting his take on the 49ers-Ravens game of the season so far. We'll get into that and all the other action to get you set for the weekend. The Friday pod drops uh, afternoon this Friday. So make sure if you haven't already subscribed to us, whichever your podcatcher of choice is, and you will get it straight away and you won't miss an episode. We'll see you Friday. Bye for now. Podcast Network.